This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everybody? Jeff Kasuf here, host of Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. You can find us every day on EqualizerSoccer.com. My guest this week is Saskia Weber, former U.S. women's national team goalkeeper. She played through the 90s with that U.S. team, and we talk about those couple World Cups and the first Olympics to feature women's soccer in, in the Olympic Games. And we talk about some club play that she had, was one of the pioneers going over to play in Japan. But uh, also talk about the current events of the National Women's Soccer League on the field, off the field, the fight for racial justice, and um, some of the things that kind of overlap and maybe mirror some of the the fights that uh, this U.S. women's team had for certainly gender equality in the 90s and the 2000s. And uh, we talk a little bit about her her career and some of the fun stories that she'll tell you it's, it's not always super fun being the alternate at an Olympics. So a really unique experience there that we talk about and appreciate her taking the time to, to share that. Um, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It helps us get it out there. It helps people discover it. Kicking Back, you can find us on any platform, the one you're listening to right now or any other platform. You do that, it helps us get to more people and tell more stories. And this podcast is about telling the stories of women's soccer players, coaches, personalities in the game. So go ahead and do that for us. And we'll get to this podcast with Saskia Weber, who you might know from the 99 World Cup as we talk about for her spectacular American flag hair spray painted. She's got some funny stories about that. So hope you enjoy all right, here on the Kicking Back pod with my latest guest. Very excited to have Saskia Weber on. Thank you for joining me, Saskia. Absolutely. I'm happy to be uh, here. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, uh, former USA goalkeeper, uh, played in World Cups. You, you'll know her from 99, some of you. I know you had the, the fan favorite with the full American flag hair yes. in the 99 <laughs> World Cup. <laughs> yes. Um, played pro, is now a goalkeeper coach at UCLA and, and director of goalkeeping at LA Bulls uh, club locally there. Um, very active within the game now, still coaching. I'm sure you're pumped for that after, after a long playing career, right? I am. I took, I took a bit of a hiatus, a bit, like 15, 16 years. Yeah. And just did other things. And then um, you slowly get back into it. You can never leave it. And so happy to be, you know, happy to have had that, those experiences in life and now found my way back to soccer. I love it. Yeah. And if you're going to find your way back, you might as well be with the best in coach for yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and fellow um, podcast host co-host. So I'll, I'll be, I'll have to be sharp on my game here to make there sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, a lot that, that we want to talk about here. And I think, um, you know, I was saying to you while we were setting this up, I think uh, a theme for me is always, you know, the sport is growing, a lot of new fans um, and maybe, 
I like to make sure we're highlighting, you know, the full history of this sport, especially in the U.S. And, and you played in the 90s. I think a, time a lot of people are uh, just coming through um, or haven't, haven't really, you know, don't know a lot about and haven't watched. So, um, you know, just for, for our listeners, Saskia, uh, an alternate of the 96 Olympics, played in the 99 World Cup, like we talked about. And then we were talking about the 95 World Cup. Um, really one that kind of gets lost in between. The 91 World Cup was the first Women's World Cup, uh, although it wasn't called that at the time. Uh, 99, the big one in the U.S., and, and then 95. So, um, you know, maybe just if we can talk about the, the origins of your U.S. career starting in the early 90s there, what, what did the team look like? This is such a popular team now. Uh, I know things were a lot different then. It was a lot different, but the, the players weren't. That's what people don't seem to realize. I mean, my first trip with, I guess, then you would call it the youth national team, the under-20 national team, but it really wasn't. We had no under-20. We had no youth U-17s. We had nothing. We had, like, a team. And um, we went to Bulgaria. And that was my first trip. I was senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, Mia, Brandy, Julie, Christine Lilly, like, so, I mean, you're looking, we've been playing together that long. And I think that was 89, mm-hmm. 90. Like, so that's how long, like, this, that core, that your 99ers, as most people know them, have been playing together. Um, and then um, I was in camp, my first, like, major camps and stuff were right leading up to the 91 World Cup. I think it was in one camp or two camps, you know. Um, with Kim Maslin, Mary Harvey, um, and, you know, all, Amy, and all these goalkeepers that are still in the game today. And, like, I wouldn't say that they were, like, my, I, who I looked up to because I wasn't that much younger than them. But it was, like, you know, these were the girls that – these were the women that really started it. And these mm-hmm. were the goalkeepers that, you know, played that went to the first World Cup and, and won it. And, um, and then – after that, I think I really got brought in, I think in like 92. Um, and that's when I really started my full national team career was 92. Mm-hmm. And so I was still in college. Yeah. And I, I've heard some of the stories from those days. You just said Bulgaria of, of what uh, traveling was like. It wasn't a, a luxurious thing back then. Actually, when we went to Bulgaria for bulgaria it was kind of luxurious (laughs) and for like you know a senior i think it was going in my senior year in high school like it was awesome for me like we stayed in a great hotel um i had a great time Mm -hmm. uh traveled that country the people the people were were absolutely beautiful amazing um it was a really cool experience Mm -hmm. um but no, what you're talking about is, no, we didn't have massage therapists. We weren't getting, like, each of us didn't have our own water bottle with certain, like, mixtures specifically designed for what we deplete during a game. And, you know, I didn't have um, acupuncturists and, and all that stuff. No. You got in there. You brought your own stuff. You were happy if you, like, got out with a practice T-shirt um, and your per diem, which was probably maybe $20 a day. That was yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i remember uh julie fowdy was telling me among many players about uh the food at the 91 world cup and i think that story has kind of been out there i remember um i spoke with april heinrichs about the 80s not long ago for for a book i wrote and and, uh she was talking about a 
plane. I think it was going to Italy, maybe that escapes me, but like it was the smoking section was next to the players and the whole oh, flight. This, was... When you used to be able to smoke on planes. Yes, absolutely. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. There were rows like yeah. as if that changed. it. <laughs> yeah. So a lot different than now. And certainly I guess uh, in this, this current, you know, few months that we're in with this pandemic of uh, how different. I mean, are. if you look at the way things have changed in what is that 30 years? Mm. Um, yeah. The 30, 35 years. Like I, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Like I could have never imagined the way things are, the way team, the teams handled and, um, and everything, but you know, knowing that you were a part or I was a part of making that come to fruition is, is all is amazing. It's mm -hmm. what you want in your life. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 99 is, is a big one, obviously um, in, in terms of moments that I think, you know, I still hear in covering the game now of, of players who um, they're, they're more toward the, the veteran group now, I guess, who are players that were in the stands that day or that moment for them was the big moment. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier about, you know, the fan favorite, you had the hair going and everything. Yeah, the what, red, white, and blue. What, uh, well, yeah, we'll try to get a picture, I guess, in the, in the, uh, <laughs> the post on this, this pod. But, um, you know, I, I think everybody's got their sort of 99 story uh, what, what is the, the sort of lasting memory for you of, of what that meant and, and maybe the behind the scenes of it a bit? Well, the behind the scenes of the hair was, it, it, it kind of like, it was, we started when we went to Chicago to play and some of the other girls, like people were just like, you know, putting colors in their hair for their team. Mm -hmm. So we, we goofed around Christy um, Pierce, Christy Rampone's mom brought hairspray, hair dye, in um and it was me danielle lori fair tish like we kind of goofed around with them you know we were like mm -hmm. okay you know we'll do it and so but i had i had my hair in such a tight ponytail that i was like oh let's make some stripes and some stars and christy rampo and like cut out little stencils so we were like having fun with it like you know this was like a thing it would keep us occupied in our hotel rooms because you know we're kind of on lockdown per se like we're out in the middle of nowhere and um it was just something to do um and then it just became this thing like there was a point actually i think coming into the dc game that i think an ap picture had come out and that's the one that says weber on the back with the red white and blue hair and everything and it said you know number one things to watch for the women's you know u.s games or world cup games and so, what color is saskia weber's hair and i got really stressed out because i felt like what we were doing was kind of taking like focus like i i that's not what i wanted um i talked to our team psychologist about it and um i came down to lunch that day and my hair wasn't colored for the game and i can't think it was julie or somebody was just like what are you doing and I was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, why isn't your hair colored? And I'm like, oh, you know, it was fine. It was what it was. But like, I really had this anxiety. Like I didn't want to like, I didn't want to set myself apart. I want, you know, I didn't want it to be like that. And they're like, no, 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 no. This is like superstition now. Like, no, <laughs> get, get your ass back upstairs. So Christy and I went back upstairs in DC and she'll tell this story too. Um, the windows in the hotel were closed and we started stenciling and spraying the hair. <clears throat> and I'm sitting there in the chair and I start to almost pass out. And I look at 
Chrissy and she's like blue. And like there was, we were just asphyxiating ourselves like with all the spray. And we both like ran to the window and opened the window. We're like hanging out the window of the hotel. We almost like didn't make a game. Like it wow. was, yeah. That would have been funny. quite the injury report. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, been, that would have been a stupid one. Um, so it was fun. It was, it, was, it was just something to get you focused, tie you in, you know. It was something, uh, you know, I was. Yeah. Yeah, I was a patriot. I, it was America. You yeah. Know, we're in America. And, you know, it was just part of, part of everything. Did I know that, you know, that would be this like iconic thing, you know, but it's fun, mm-hmm. you know, and it's cool and I'm glad I did it. And um, it took seven shampoos to, to get it out every <laughs> night. <laughs> so, yeah. But it was fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the moment of, of that all coming together, um, you know, probably not the time, f- we don't have the time to tell the full, full story of, of, you know, the tournament itself and how it got set up and how you, the team grew in popularity throughout it. But, um, you know, getting to that final by that point, as you alluded to, things just kept growing uh, oh. in popularity. Uh, what was that like for you from the inside of going through that? Some of the stresses as simple as maybe the stress of hair and superstition, but, but getting to that point and ultimately winning it where, you know, I think we hear from us players even now that there is a pressure to, to win it every time. I think the pressure of this is, was more than anybody can imagine. And yes, I get the pressure that, you know, the American, the U S team now feels we have to win it every time and stuff. Well, this was, times 10 and unless you were there and can imagine and were a part of it you'll never understand that um we were told we you've heard these stories we were told we shouldn't play in big stadiums we were told we should keep it on the east coast we were told we should play in small college stadiums um it was the title nine was up for review in the senate there was so much outside pressure that um just winning it was part of it uh, we, we didn't have a choice. If we, if we lost to Germany in that quarterfinal game, everyone would have been like, see, see, Title IX doesn't work or whatever. Um, there were just so many pressures, and we're in our home country. And, you know, the first game, we sell out Giant Stadium, and every game after, it's a sellout. So now the whole world's watching. Um, and it was, it was a lot. It wasn't just go to a tournament and win the tournament. And I'm not taking away from winning a World Cup. Trust me, I, I know – what you go through to get there, I know, I know everything, but add those pressures onto it. Add Title IX looking to be reversed, which means that the players that play now wouldn't have had equal, equal scholarships in college. You know, it might, we might have a very different face of women's sports, period, WNBA, you know, softball. Everything might be very different had Title IX not been up for review and had we not won. And so, you know, so those are things that kind of compounded that whole time. It was kind of a perfect storm. Yeah. Say, you know? Yeah. And that Germany game you mentioned, I think is, is the one that maybe gets lost in the, uh, and it's, it's the one, right. In, in the big picture. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we, when Brandy scored the own goal and everything like, no, everybody's like, okay, whatever. And then we came back and we tied and they went up. And um, the team went into the locker room, and I'll never forget, they were kind of down. Like, 
heads down, like shoulders down a bit. And Tish brought us um, us reserve. I don't like saying reserves. I like game changers. I like uh, that coin term. Um, we were out warming up during halftime. We were in, in the locker room. And Tish brought us all together, Venturini, and said, guys, look, when they come out of this tunnel, we're going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to be like, everything's awesome. Everything's positive. Nothing negative. Like, we are going to pump them through the roof. And that's what we did. And we lined up. And, you know, instead of kind of walking out slow, like, ugh, it was like, yeah, you know, we were just like, we got this, we got this. And we just amped them up. And, you know, and then Shannon went in off the bench and pinged that corner kick off the first touch into Joy's head, 2-2. And then Brandy, who scores the own goal, scores the winning goal. I mean, it was, it was everything our team was about. Yeah. yeah. This is so interesting, too, because I think, you know, the, the dynamics of teams and, and even just that little kind of a moment are, you know, we can't really see them on TV typically. You don't even necessarily hear about them, but, but are, uh, you know, that, those are key pieces to a game, to a season, to a World Cup. Uh, Absolutely. So. It, it lets you know that everybody, whether you're on the field or off the field, it makes a difference, period. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, well, the, the um, you know, 99, I think, is is one that's, been explored a lot and, and I think like I said we could probably talk about a ton but you know I, I think some of the stuff that uh, for me and, and that I want to explore a bunch with, with you here and, and even wider is um, you know 96 was the 96 Olympics for, for those listening that first Olympics to feature women's soccer tournament played in Atlanta uh, the, the Olympics were Atlanta the, the soccer tournament itself spread out a bit um, and you know the what that meant for setting up 99 as a kind of a proof of concept. But mm -hmm. I know you have an interesting perspective as, as an alternate in those Olympics. Uh, what, what, what was that like? I know it's a very different experience. Yeah, it's the worst experience ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, listen, I'm not throwing shade or anything at the fact that, you know, I was a member of the 96 Olympic team and we won gold. Being an alternate, what, what most people don't realize, and you can talk to other players that have done the same thing, and they'll probably have the same respect. You are on the team. You're not allowed to dress. Um, so I was actually out of camp. I wasn't in camp. Um, they had Tracy Ducar was in camp, uh, Bry, and um, uh, sorry, Mary Harvey. And... So I was actually in Portland, like with friends hanging out and I'll tell this now, which I wasn't allowed to say, but I was summer skiing on Mount Hood and I'm not, I wasn't like technically I wasn't allowed to be skiing um, because of my national team contract, but as I was summer skiing and so um, with my friend, Sandy Bodecker, that was at Nike and stuff. And I come down off the mountain and I got a phone call um, we need you in um, Florida. Uh, Tracy heard her back, and we need you to come in to play in the Olympics. And it was, it was, and uh, obviously I had been, I never stopped training. So I was just like, literally off the mountain, like, oh my God. Like, had to run to a doctor in Oregon and like get, um, get a physical, and then had to get on a plane. And next thing I know, I was on the Olympic team. And, I would say it's weird because people are like, well, you didn't, you know, but I, you're always training. I'm always with my trainers every day, like in case something like this happens, like, and my mindset is the next world cup. So, you know, it wasn't like I was out of shape or wasn't on point. 
um, but came in as what's called an alternate, and you're allowed a certain amount of players to bring to the Olympics. Three of them four are alternates. So you have up until the very last game, 24 hours before the last game, to substitute, to put somebody out and put, put the alternate in, whether it's an injury, whatever it is. So we're there the whole time. We're not allowed in the Olympic Village. We weren't at that time. We weren't – I had to – we lived at – went to stayed at Clemson with Tracy Leone and we trained at Clemson and it was the four of us and we trained at Clemson and every day we drive down to Athens and we go to um, meetings um, and we go to the games and you were on the sideline in regular clothes and you know you're on the field when we won and it was hard it's hard it was a hard situation because you wanted to be one step in the other direction. Yeah. But yeah. it tested who I was as a person, as my commitment to being a part of this amazing team and national team and, you know, putting my head down and dealing with that and moving forward, you know, like it's part of my identity and what like molded my career. Mm -hmm. I went three days later, I flew to Japan and played pro for three years. Yeah. Wow. So, and something I want to definitely talk about about that um, shortly with with because that was not a common thing at that time. I mean, maybe, maybe it's not now either, really. But um, so so ninety six. I mean, you know, the the U.S. wins that gold medal. Um, it's it's a bit of a, a setup for ninety nine, even if it gets maybe less attention. It did because the excuse by everybody was that the reason we had like fifty thousand people in the stands was because it was the Olympics and it was a ticket to buy. It wasn't because everybody wanted to see women's soccer. You see what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. they, I think they, instead of showing like the women's softball win, win the gold that, that year, which they, I think that was their first time in the Olympics as well, they showed like, like a rhythmic ballet exhibition, like something really random. Like, and I'm sorry to rhythmic ballerinas and stuff like that, but it wasn't like for your gold medal. It was, an ex, it was like an exhibition. Instead of showing like the softball team win at the same time the soccer team win gold, it wasn't important. Yeah, I remember the, there was some criticism of the coverage, and I mean that's probably a, an every Olympics thing, but certainly in this case of, of what the U.S. team was doing, um, the soccer team as well, you know, and not getting that kind of uh, that prime time. Well, could you in, imagine in that now? Right. Yeah. Could you imagine? It's like it'd be like the Heidi Bowl for God's sake. Like, <laughs> could, you, could you imagine? And for you young people that don't know what that is, like look it up. Trust <laughs> me, your your dads and my dad, your grandpas know exactly what the Heidi Bowl means. But it, like, could you imagine if you were sitting here wanting to watch the finals of the World Cup and instead like NBC put on like an exhibition of like I don't know like rhythmic gymnastics yeah. or something yeah it's uh it's, it wouldn't happen and well and it probably leads to the the one other big tournament in that that decade that i want to talk about uh is is 95 which is was basically not on tv other than a couple of tape delayed games in the u.s and it's kind of a forgotten tournament i know you know the, yeah. the americans would probably like to forget about it uh having the way it finished but uh you know what what, what do you remember about 95 just from your experiences? Because it's, it's one that it doesn't get talked about a lot. There's not always accessible footage of it. Yeah. You know, I'd like to say somebody said to me the other day, we were talking about it and um, it is for, it is a forgotten tournament. 
and we got third. And um, I will tell you right now, it is not a forgotten tournament to any player that was there. But, you know, again, it falls in under the cusp. Unless you win a World Cup, it's a forgotten tournament. Like like the 15 years we didn't want to win a World Cup until, you know, 2015. Um, although I remember Japan won. Um, but um, it was... We were stuck in the same town for the majority of the tournament, a town called Yavla, which is fine, but you know, uh, the sun never went down. I love the Swede. I have plenty of Swedish friends. I love you. I'm not harking on Sweden. Um, I had a great time. It was a great experience. It was small stadiums, maybe a couple thousand seat, um, probably not sold out. And, um, but the most, like the biggest memory, and you can ask any 99er of that, is that we lost to Norway. And Norway rubbed it in our face after the game. They were so unsportsmanlike that it's something I will never forget a day in my life. And it has taught me how to make sure I coach kids properly. Um, the way they, they acted after the game, um, April brought us all in. And she said, how do you feel right now? like shit, sorry, um, and never forget the way you feel because you don't ever want to feel like this again. And I will tell you for the next four years, I think that fueled everybody. That's that, the scene that we saw with them doing some weird train thing, they were so horrible. And in the way they celebrated in our faces after they won, and it, they only won, they hadn't won the World Cup yet, that it was, you know, they knocked us out of the semifinal. Um, and we played for third and we won third, what the uh, bronze, but it was just, it was uh, something I'll never forget. Yeah. The, the, the train celebration, uh, anybody listening, I think there's some photos. I don't know if there's video that's, that's easy to find, but um... it was just, it was something so beyond like anything you can imagine. Like, like yeah. at that level, I know we had a huge, like, you know, it was our nemesis, but at the same time, it's like, like have some humility, like, and we would have never done that. So nobody could ever come back to me and I have plenty of Norwegian friends and say, well, you wouldn't know we would, nobody would have ever done that. We would have shaken your hands, gone inside because our, our work wasn't done. We hadn't won the World Cup yet. Yeah. So. Yeah. I remember, uh, I think it's a, maybe a quote I shouldn't repeat that I've heard. From That's okay. Repeat it. Michelle Akers, I believe was, <laughs> was the one who, uh, came up with the nickname after that for, for Norway. And that, that was, you know, people again, in terms of history lessons and whatnot, um, you know, us has different rivals now, but USA Norway in the nineties sparked, sparked by that moment really was, uh, was one that people I don't think really realized was, was USA, Norway, one. China, Sweden. It was different then. Um, Germany, obviously, um, it was different. You have to look at the way women's like equality was around the world. Um, the Scandinavian countries had always had it on the floor, especially with sports. And so they were, you know, they were the Vikings. They were the big, the big, you know, our big nemesis. And then China, because they just put so much into their team back then, you know, the Brazils and. Japan was just a little like fledgling kind of getting into it, trying to catch up with China. Like those countries that you see now, France, Holland, uh, they were not even on the map. Yeah. 
Okay, folks, we're going to take a quick break here for a few words from our sponsor. Oh, no, I know you want to hear more. We're coming right back. Stick with us. There's plenty more great conversation after the break. Here's a quick few words from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more of Kicking Back. Yeah, definitely, definitely shift in uh, in rivalries of late for the U.S. And, and honestly, I, I still come away from 2019 wondering who the kind of true rival is. I mean, England obviously has tried to to make themselves that. Uh, it's I, I don't know that we have seen one really yet for the U.S., but maybe it just takes another. I mean, I think, I think it. I think some would say Canada, but Canada, other than that one right. time, has never really, really pushed. In the sense, as much as I would like them to, I have plenty right. of Canadian soccer friends and uh, and everything. I would love it. How great would that be? Is every time yeah. the U.S. and Canada played, it flip flopped. It'd be amazing. Yeah, I think it might take <laughs> another another moment. You know, like I mean, kind of what you're describing with Norway. Maybe the the U.S. Brazil 2007 game, something that yeah. which was a similar from everybody I talked to of those stories. Brazil staying in the same hotel and and what happened afterward with uh, some some celebrations in the yeah. lobby. Um, so it, I think it takes a moment like that to really fuel that at a major tournament. Uh, yeah, it gets so, into you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe it will be England because I know there was, I was in France and there was, uh, it was much ado about nothing, but the, the U S having a team rep at the England hotel to, <laughs> was a, a fun little, uh, you know, non-story, I guess. But, um, well, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about goalkeeping too here because the U S um, we're talking about 90s here. I can't really look at a, a time period since this U.S. program began where there weren't uh, – certainly the starter was not a bona fide world-class goalkeeper with – you know, and, and many of, of others like that behind her. Um, you know, big topic, but just kind of drilling down on, is there something that you've seen from the playing days to now coaching and goalkeeping coaching um, that, that makes the U.S. – seemingly so much more advanced at goalkeeping than, than the rest of the world? I'll give this a nod to Mike and everybody. This is because everybody's from Jersey, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, um, we've always, I think, been a step, like we've been on par with our goalkeeping training. And whether that's the men's side or the women's side, if you look at the men, like both sides of it, with Timmy Howard, with Brad Frito, with Tony Miola, like, and coming through the ranks, um, Casey Keller, Bry, myself, you know, and you just keep working up. Like we, we've always had a level of goalkeeping that has been on par internationally. And, um, but you know, with the women's game, obviously our game has been the best internationally, but even on the men's side, I mean, look at, I say those names and everybody knows those names. And so, I think that there's just a style of play. I think the athleticism that we have um, to pick from here in soccer in the United States as goalkeepers um, is incredible. And, uh, you know, if you look at the crew, like if you look at the pool of goalkeepers that we have out there right now, it's crazy. I mean, back when I played, like, yes, there were a lot of good goalkeepers, but, you know, there was like a pool of five. You know, um, and that weeded weeded down to like two or three. I think that now, I mean, even with the NWSL, you look at these keepers and gosh, I mean, Sher- you know, Sheridan, Murphy, like everybody can, you can flip-flop people on the national team for the next three years until the World Cup at your will. 
and Nair and Franch and and you know those guys have to be they got to watch it because these you know with the depth of the NWSL and the level that these other keepers are playing at like it could change fast yeah and um Campbell like I think that you know even seeing Nair not play in the last game like I think that's an indication like, and, and, you know, there's, there are a lot of great, really great talented keepers out there. And mm-hmm. it's exciting for me to watch. Like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. NWSL back in action now, as we record and speak. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen, uh, what are we, we've got uh, two, four, six, six games in now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some, some different goalkeeping, you know, I think some, some sharps, <laughs> moments some uh some rusty moments let's be honest (laughs) there have been some okay saves but you know i said this the other week when i was asked about it look they haven't been playing together the defenses aren't going to be in sync with the goalkeepers and what's going to stand out the goalkeepers that are going to stand out in this are goalkeepers that are true leaders that can organize their defenses on the fly um we're going to see a lot of goals because of that and um and like pure athleticism because you're going to have a lot more shots than you would see like in a regular NWSL season when you've been having a full preseason and you're in sync and you go in and everything's moving properly, I think. And we're, we're seeing that what, four to three game, like, you yeah. know, some of the goals we've seen are just like, you know, people defense not marking up properly, like goalkeepers not goalkeepers hesitating, in my opinion, to come off their line and close space properly because their timing's off because they haven't been doing this. And it's not, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not like, I'm not like going down on the keepers. That's what practice is for. That's what training's for. We haven't been able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and NWL back in action, um, you know, for you, having played through the 90s when there was no league here, you played in WSA for, for the three years that it, it existed. Uh, we're in, you know, however you want to count this tournament, I mean, something of a version of season eight here, which I know everybody's <laughs> so you know, happy for excited about. Um, you know, you seeing this as a player who, who fought for, you know, everything really the league back then uh, for more national team exposure and rights and um, I mean what what is this for you to see a league like this where you know despite I guess I mean leave the virus stuff aside we, we're not really sitting here now asking is this going to last is it going to survive right, no, not at all. it's not going anywhere yeah so uh, what's that moment like for you uh, do you do you look back at those those days where you know I mean you had to watch that league fold which I'm sure was terrible um, it's horrible you know, there was one in between. What's it like for it, you to see this? I think it's great. I, I love it. Um, I think the quality and the depth of the league's incredible. But I think on top of that is to see that the options that our American players and every player around the world have. You don't have to come to the NWSL. Although, is it the best league in the world? Yes, because I think the depth is the best league in the world. I think every team is good. Um, and so – but you have the choice. You can go play in France. You can p- go play in England. Um, the J, the L leagues in Japan is restarting um, next year, which is amazing because I had I was there for three years and I loved it. And so you know to see them restarting the L league, uh, 
so the options you can play in Spain. I, that wasn't even a concept when I was playing pro originally in Japan. There was no pro league here. It, we had that in Sweden. Um, you know, you can play in South America if you want. So the options that are out there to see the difference is incredible. And see our, to see our players playing all over the world, Australia, wherever they want, is, in, is incredible. And to see people fight over them. I mean, did I ever think I'd see this day? I think we all hoped we would. When I saw the league fold in... Uh, to what, 2003, 2004, um, the WSA, yeah, it, and it ended my career, I was done after that, I retired after that, I didn't want to, although I had my Dutch citizenship, I thought about going back overseas, um, but I, I kind of, that was, I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm calling it, yeah. um, do I think if things were set up the way they are now, that would have been a decision, no, probably would have kept playing. Um, so I think that just to see all these different options and everything, I, I'm so excited, you know, I'm so excited for everybody. Like you, I look at college players now, unless you were already on the national team or something, there's no way you're going to play pro. Now it's just like, where do you want to go? You know, when you graduate. Yeah. Um, and I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, and we're seeing too here, um, you know, I, I would say, a particular moment of relevance for the NWSL. It's it's the first U.S. team sports league back from from everything happening. Um, you know, knock on wood here. It's been safe in this in this bubble environment that they've created yeah, thus far. Um, I feel horrible for um, Orlando. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yes, should should I would have Orlando. loved to. You know, I would love to see Ashlyn play. Um, I think she's an amazing goalkeeper, and I would I would love to watch her play in this. I think she would have thrived in this tournament. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm ha I like the structure that they did. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you would have tried to play this out um, and tried to get like baseball like a 60 game season or something like that, I think what I think the tournament style is is incredibly smart. I think you know the um, MLS is doing it as well. It keeps people interested. It's fun, and, and you know in this time and what we're going through, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's been exciting so far. And, and, um, you know, part of this, this platform that they have, as I think, you know, we've seen with the attention drawn to it, um, CBS national TV game, uh, players using their voices in, in as many ways as they can, I guess, with, with the pregame warmup, uh, black lives matter shirts, the armbands, the, the moments of silence and, and kneeling, um, What's that been like for you to see that that they are having that impact on on that level too, not just talking soccer? Well, you know, we always have to make make sure we know that we are role models for a younger generation. Um, you know, I think it was Patrick Ewing once asked me about our demographic. Um, if you don't know who that is, kids, Patrick is a very famous basketball player. Um, and I said, you know, you're looking at kids, you know. You know, the people in our stands aren't grown adults cheering us, like, for him, like, in the NBA. Like, they're kids. And so we have to remember that we are influencing the next generation. So I think that it's amazing that, um, you know, there's the, the whole the whole league, everybody, myself included, everybody is standing up for what they believe in. But I think it's amazing for the same time that who somebody that's not kneeling, 
and that the team stands behind that, you know, and you've seen one or two players that don't kneel and that's okay. You know, it doesn't mean you don't think black lives matter. It doesn't mean, you know, anything. It's just your personal preference. And, and that should be the same both ways. And so I think that, um, grabbing hold of the movement and whether it's, you know, equal rights for gays, whether it's black lives matter, everything. You know, you have a voice as an athlete, you have a platform as an athlete, you're a role model as an athlete, and use it. Um, and use it positive, like in a positive way, you know? Yeah. No, like, um, you know, nobody's saying like you have to, you have to, you know, if you don't feel comfortable going out and marching, I didn't. I live in LA and you know, the coronavirus is rampant and I didn't feel comfortable being with a couple, like tens of thousands of people smashed into Santa Monica Boulevard, hoping I didn't get sick. Like I, I can have a voice whether I'm marching or whether I'm at home. And so, you know, nobody's judging you, nobody's doing anything, but I think just knowing that you're all role models and take embracing that in whatever way you have to embrace it is I have a lot of respect for it. I'm proud of them. Um, I'm proud of the league and, you know, hopefully this significantly makes a change period. Like and we've I'm been fighting for this stuff for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you see it in your coaching with on the youth side and, and probably even through at UCLA. I mean, I've spoken with uh, some of some black players within the NWSL, some of whom played at UCLA um, not, not too long ago, I guess. And they've said to me, um, you know, I, even as a youth player, I was sometimes the only black player on the team. I, you know, I just didn't have, you know, now we're trying to like players from the rain who I spoke with, they are getting involved in that Academy so that they, mm -hmm those players can see them in that position. Um, is that something that, that you're trying to, to? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yes, and you have to realize that. And whether this situation, whether what we're going through right now in history is what woke them up, um, and, and that's a good thing. Hey, you know what? I never saw black players. I'm cruising through playing pro. Why, why don't I step, take a step back? What can I do to put my face out there to make kids say, I can do this too. And that is important. And whether it's talking on podcasts or, you know, I would go on appearances and, and do whatever I can, but yeah, it's important. And I think people are seeing how important it is to put yourself out there and your face out there and your voice out there to make a change for the next generation. Yeah. And, and do I think like racism is going to disappear with our generation? No, it's, it's, it's there, but you know, our kids and the kids, like the generations coming up, they're going to, they don't understand. They're like, what's the problem? Yeah. Yeah. They don't see it. Like if you talk to like the youth players I talk to, they don't understand. They have transgender like teammates. They have, you know, you know, two prom queens. They, they don't see things the way that our, our parents saw them. And like, they don't see it that way. They, they don't see black and white the way we've seen black and white and if we can keep pushing that in a positive manner eventually it'll it'll disappear mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean on a platform perspective um you know we're talking about 
racial injustice here. And, and I think, you know, the, within the sport, there's been a lot of talk about um, gender inequalities. And, and I think, you know, the theme of, of players using the platforms they have and fighting for those is something that I think people realize or should realize too, that, you know, this is, if we're talking about WSA getting started even or 99 world cups and what you talked about of playing that to the full extent in big stadiums, you know, those are specific examples, but mm -hmm. your team, your, your group of players back then was, was similarly doing the same thing, right? Absolutely. We, you know, we had an issue with being with, with the pay equality, with the with stadium, like, like not be, being treated as second class citizens, period. You know, you get the guys and they throw temper tantrums because they have to play on, you know, synthetic surfaces and nobody, nobody even questions that we have to play on it, you know, and literally like they have a protest. I'm not playing on turf. You know, we don't have a choice. Like, and it's that. And it's like, hey, you win World Cups. We don't care. We want, and it's not that the men were making more money. It's we want the men to be the, the, who people think of when they think of U.S. soccer. It's what they wanted. It's, it's, that's how they saw it. We want everybody to think of Landon Dolphin and Lexi Lawless and these five people as soccer in America. We don't want them to see women first. And guess what? You don't have a choice. And, the, you know, we've made that quite clear. Um, and if the men want to catch up, catch up, because we'll walk hand in hand with you. And that's fine. But, you know, celebrate who your your success is treat everybody equally we may you know and it's what we asked for and it was a battle and it's still a battle it's still not settled and and some people might find that unbelievable because it kind of is unbelievable like what else does somebody have to do or does a team have to do to 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 be treated equal like what else like we can't win any more world i mean we couldn't win more world cups but we can't be any better <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. what else do you want? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I think that there's a lot that's, that's out there written, I think in, in longer form about the fight to, to get WSA going. Um, certainly some different books, I'd say Jury Longman, uh, the girls of summer was one that detailed yeah. some of the, you know, the, the fight to get the 99 world cup, um, to the point that it was. So anybody interested in kind of the extended reading of that? Um, that and the um, the Netflix movie is oh is yes off the girls of summer that's coming out soon right off the book uh, next year well next nothing's year. coming out soon oh, true. All, yeah. all the studios are shut down yeah, yeah. So. fair enough yeah. Um, but uh, yeah it'll come out in uh, 2021 that that's yeah I forgot about that that's exciting I know uh, I'm sure you all are excited to tell that story again and and maybe uh, it sounds like in unique or untold waves, un unreleased footage or something? Is that? I, I, I don't, I can't <laughs> talk. But it's, you know, okay. all, of the, all of this stuff's amazing. I'm, I'm working on a children's book right now. Oh. Um, so like an illustrated children's book, mm -hmm. um, you know, based on discrimination and what I went through and stuff, um, somewhat auto autobiographical, but um, you know, um, which is exciting. And so, there are all like these open forums that we have that we don't realize. And that, like I said, and how we can um, influence the next generations. And you know, it's a gift that what we've gotten. Um, and I say that out loud to the women that are playing now and the women on the um, US team now and in the NWSL, like it's a great moment in time right now to grab hold and see how we can change the future. And everybody should see how they can.
period. Yeah. 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 Looking forward to, um, you know, hopefully continued conversation and, and change as, um, you know, certainly I guess within our soccer world that, that the NWSL is, is helping push forward. The U.S. Women's National Team continues to, as it has Absolutely. for, you know, many years and decades. Um, well, I want to ask you, we didn't get to talk much club, you know, for your days, I guess, uh, you know, <laughs> Japan is one that um, I loved it. excites, you know, I guess it, it interests me because not many players went abroad then and maybe still don't now, but certainly then. But, um, you know, between Japan playing in WSA, uh, the original U.S. Women's Pro League, um, I, I like to ask people maybe a loaded question of just, you know, yeah, fav- go ahead. favorite memories. You know, it, it's a tough to sort of nail one down. But, um, you know, what stands out to you and maybe on a club level when we always talk international, but that club level maybe gets overlooked. I, I love playing in Japan and actually um, Tiffany Mulbert, Shannon McMillan, Randy Chastain, uh, the top Chinese keep players, the top uh, Norwegian players, Swedish, we were all there. Played um, my entire pro career against um, a very young Sawa um, and everything. So it was the best of the best, but I loved it. It was the first time my entire life was I was a pro athlete, period, and I was treated that way. And, um, you know, I spent five, six hours a day training, whether it was in the gym or on the soccer field, and um, had my apartment, and I was there with Tammy Pierman, um, Kim Smith, like, you know, Claire Scanlon. Uh, we had, I had a great time. And it was, you know, I'm part Dutch and I've grown up traveling my entire life and be able to live in another country like Japan. Like it's all a great experience. That's why when I hear players and I've talked to other goalkeepers, I'm like, yo, if you're on the bench and you're third in the WSA, get on a plane and go start for a team in France or go to England or go somewhere, do it. It's worth the experience and enjoy soccer while you can and get the games in. Um, Because it's something that I'm so privileged that I got to do. I mean, every day playing pro for the WSA was an amazing day. I'm, you know, especially, I love playing for Philly, but when I got to play for New York, which is, was my like, like pride and joy to play for New York. Like I, I was in heaven, you know, and I was a pro athlete living in Manhattan and and doing all those things that, you know, I had friends that were hockey players and basketball players and baseball players that got to do and you know, that was my life and I loved it. And I loved the camaraderie. I loved playing with, you know, Ronnie fair. And I loved playing with like, I, it was, I sit back, I still talk to people and meet a rap, like, you know, all these people like from other countries, we still talk to this day. And it was an amazing experience. Um, I was sad to see the WSA close because I thought the concept and everything, the money was squandered, but I thought that it is what you see now, in a sense, like it could have kept going had we done it right. Um, but I'm glad to see the NWSL is good. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, a Philly charge back in the day. I loved watching Philly charge. The charge. So. I love the charge too. I hated that field. No, <laughs> you know, I hate that field was like the hardest turf I'd ever play on. Um, I love my apartment in Philly. <laughs> um, I had, I, I lived in Maniunk. I had an old cigar factory. Like it was like, oh, wow. it's incredible loft. I loved it. Um, um, but 
I was excited when I made the move to New York and finished my, I was really excited to finish my career with Although I miss playing with Heather and, and Rory Fair and everybody, but um, they're still my friends to this day, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember going to Villanova once and it was, uh, it was San Diego was in town and it was, there was a lightning delay in warmups and then they shuffled everybody to like an auditorium and then uh -huh. there was a second lightning delay. It was, uh, it was quite a time. That, that's really all I remember about the game. <laughs> a double lightning delay, but. Um, I think I have photos of that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Saskia Weber, I, I really appreciate you taking the Anytime. time um, to, to talk here. A, a few memories, uh, probably a few of, of so many more we could, oh, we could gosh, talk I about. Oh, gosh, thousands. <laughs> um, but um, no, it's, you know, it's always great to talk and reminisce and talk about the future. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me. And, and um, folks, if you're listening, follow her. Uh, you've got the pod. Maybe do a little plug for yourself yeah, here. Uh, we've got Inside the 18, our goalkeeper podcast. You got to check it out. It's been amazing. Uh, it is amazing. And then you can always find me at Saskia underscore Weber on Instagram. DM me if you have any questions. I'm always available. Perfect. Well, follow her and uh, follow us here on Kicking Back on EqualizerSoccer.com. And uh, Saskia, thanks for joining me. And, and Anytime. Uh, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. If you like what you heard, and we certainly hope you did, please go ahead and rate and review this pod. The more you do that, the easier it is for other people to discover this show and hear compelling stories from some of the most interesting people in women's soccer. Keep an eye out for our next episode when we kick it with our latest guest.